Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. It's good to see you this morning. So many beautiful faces. Thank you so much, worship team. Whew. You know the presence is um, thick when you've got to take your jacket off because it's getting a bit warm in the presence of God. Come on. But hey, um, my name is Tim. I get the privilege of serving alongside some beautiful people at this church. And um, hey, if you've been part of this church for a long time and you're not serving, then I want to encourage you, get alongside it. This is just, oh, I've, I've been to many churches throughout my life, but there's nothing quite like Kalamunda, a place that we call home. Hey, how good was it having our kids in the service this morning? I love any time that we get to see them doing their thing. Because um, I, I wholeheartedly believe, without a shadow of a doubt, the only way that the most, they, not the only way, the way you can tell a church is healthy is when it has a booming kids' ministry. Youth ministry is important, but when a kids' ministry is growing, then you know a church is healthy. Like, can I get an amen for that? I'm a youth pastor, by the way, so there are some rules when a youth pastor is preaching. You've got to actually give me an amen. If you're liking what I'm saying, you've got to tell me. If you don't, I've got thick skin. I can take a heckle or two. But we're not dead. We're not in the grave. So if you're liking it and you think, you know what? Yep, that's good. God's speaking and you're listening right now. Give me an amen. All right? Can we do that? Awesome. Cool. It's not for my own self-gratification because if, if we're believing, we're standing together, then we should respond. Amen? There we go. All right. We're getting there. Hey, I, um, I get the privilege of preaching today. I was meant to preach three or four weeks ago, but um, I had a mishap, which we'll get into um, in just a moment. Um, but I was meant to be preaching in our Devoted series. This is the last um, session in our Devoted series, and I'll be preaching on awe today. Um, we've been looking at Acts 2, verse um, 40 to 47, and what the disciples were devoted to, um, and what, what, they, um, what they came around. And we've had um, sermons on prayer. We've had sermons on being devoted to um, fellowship, devoted to the Word, devoted to generosity, devoted to discipleship. It's been such a fantastic series. I've been hanging off Brad's words, and I've had to listen to every sermon two or three times in the week because there's so much conviction and so much life in those words. So if you haven't already, go to Spotify, SoundCloud. I don't know where else it is, but go listen to the sermons and go back over them. Um, yeah, bring so much life. But I get to preach on awe today. And um, we are looking at the, um, the scripture. It says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. And I think sometimes to understand a word, we, be, we need to understand kind of the opposite of it a little bit, right? If you want to understand how to be joyful, then it's kind of the opposite of sadness and sorrow. And there's a lot of words we could use to be the opposite of um, the opposite of all, but I think one of them would be complacency. See, when you're complacent about something, you're definitely not awe-filled. It doesn't, it doesn't catch your attention anymore because complacency is it's, it's the absence of pushing into something. It's the absence of striving. You're comfortable, you're done, and you're happy where you're at. And we've all been complacent in our lives. Um, husbands, you're about to get a little kick in the bum. Wives, you'll thank me later. Um, every husband gets a little bit complacent about b- buying flowers for their wife. They're not just on Valentine's Day, gents. Wives, you can thank me later. They need some flowers throughout the week. Get a little amen from the women in the house. Um, <laughs> but um, there's also sometimes we get complacent with things. Hey, sh- <laughs> I'm, not 
Um, but we get complacent about things. Right? I mean, when I owned my first car, it was a little answer. I got complacent about servicing and looking after it. Um, some of the mechanics might start groaning. I forgot for like nine months to check its oil. And when I checked, completely empty, like bone dry. And cars don't run without oil. Yet I topped it up and just kept going, didn't think about it. And the car ran for another two years. Like that was just God's grace of my life. But you get complacent. And as a young man, I was definitely complacent about deodorant. I could never go back that way. After being a teacher, I know parents, parents, I know you understand how smelly a young person can be when they've come from footy training. But please, oh my gosh, I've, I've, I've now got my own class and classes. Corbin, I'm, the year sevens are okay. Um, it's the year nines and tens. Um, please have mercy on us. Like, there is, please, please send your kids to school deodorized first. Just get some roll on. Make sure it's antiperspirant because I've got a really strong nose. Like I can, I can stand some things, but that lesson after lunch or after their sport period when they've been out in the sun, there's a reason every teacher's desk is by the window and not in the middle of the room anymore. It used to be in the middle of the room. Something's changed. I don't know whether it's the food we're eating, but there's also a reason why every single teacher now has a diffuser on their desk. At Hillside, we're not allowed them. So if you have any ideas for what we can do, they, they go into essential oils or something. I don't know, some kids are allergic, but th there's a reason that we have them. And you'll notice subtly at the start of a lesson, like Hillside students, you can look for this. If what, the teachers still have a diffuser, they usually, you'll notice just the subtly at the start, they'll drag it under, under their nose for a few minutes and then push it back. Um, because they're a different breed these days, so please, don't get complacent about deodorant. But interestingly enough, and this is, where I, this is why I wasn't here the other week, I, um, I was, um, I, there is something I am complacent about that will never change. I'm a little complacent and a little too comfortable eating meat that's a little bit too far past its use-by. And I was about to brag three weeks ago about how I don't get food poisoning. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, well, we, we, that's another story. But I, I was like, I, I haven't got food poisoning for ages. I got one of the rarest types of food poisoning, um, and that's why I wasn't here. It, it hospitalized me because it just dehydrates you to the point that you've got no water in you. And um, I just passed out that morning. I got up and then just <laughs> hit the floor. So Beck, Beck ran me off to hospital, um, and it, all good now. But it was rare form because it's like normally you have food poisoning for one to two days or something like that, and then you get over it. You just make sure you're... Make sure you just fast for a little bit and then you eat bland foods and then you're back into it. But this is a food poisoning that lasts for two weeks. So I wasn't feeling too good for a week leading up to preaching, but I was testing, making sure I was all good and I was trying to keep away from people thinking I might have something. But um, turns out it was, it was nothing I could give anybody. Um, and God was just humbling me because I was about to brag that I don't get food poisoning yet. I got one of the worst kinds of food poisoning you can get. Um, but I mean, I'd, I was going to say, shout out to my dad who taught me what it means to have a strong stomach. Because if you can survive some of the strange and wonderful dishes he has cooked up over the years, you can survive anything. I know dad's got thick skin. A little old meat won't faze you when you've been through some of his dishes. Beck, Beck knows one dish I'm talking about. Every spice, every type of meat, like there was, I'm pretty sure there was fish, lamb and chicken in the one dish. We don't know what to call it. You know how dishes have names? We don't know. Dad's got a, a dish called Vulture's Gizzards. <laughs> it's just like a sausage casserole, but it, it was a staple as a young kid. And we actually wanted Vulture's Gizzards because it had a funny name. But we get a little complacent. And today, I want to challenge us. I feel like, not just this church, I feel like all churches, in fact, and this generation have gotten really complacent 
in our interactions with God. And we're treating it like an ordinary thing when it is anything but. Time with God in his presence is anything, anything but ordinary. And so reading from Acts 4 verse 42, this is, this is what we've been sitting in in the devoted series. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I, wanna, I want us to kind of dwell in that little section where it talks about everyone was filled with awe today. Because I, I think we've got a little bit of a, um, little bit of a problem where we, we don't have awe for the presence of God anymore. Some of us really understand what it means, but I think as a generation, we've, we've lost it because I, I, we're going to actually, all, almost all of the Bible verses we're going to be looking at today are in Exodus. Because I really want us to actually get a picture of what the Israelites, how they used to react to the presence of God. And hopefully that can bring some conviction today. I hope that might be able to be a tool that there'll be a bit of conviction that if we were to worship and be in the presence like the Israelites did, it's going to look a whole lot different to how we do today because they really understood what it meant to have the fear of God. They really understood what it meant to be filled with awe in his presence. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be living in Exodus and how Moses and the Israelites actually interacted with God, if that is all right with you. And if it's not, well, too bad. We're going to do it anyway. So we're going to look at Exodus 19 verse 9. If you have your Bibles, read along with me because today is going to be, it's going to be, we're going to be looking at narrative a lot, but I really want you to actually picture. So in fact, if you don't need your Bible, cool. I'd encourage you whilst we're reading to, if, you, if you want to, to close your eyes or I'm going to say, hey, would you picture this with me? And I'd encourage if you're creative and you can do that, just to spend that moment actually picturing that image because we're going to be using a bit of imagery today to actually help us understand what the Israelites were feeling and how they interacted with God in such a way because I believe it was, it was really powerful. But um, so yeah, I'd encourage you, if you're, you're reading along, make sure you're reading along and picturing it as you're going. If not, close your eyes while we're reading these verses. Take a moment to just sit and just picture what the Israelites were seeing in this very moment. But Exodus 19, verse 9 onwards, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No personal animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And then we're reading on in Exodus 20, this is the people's reaction to the presence of the Lord. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you 
so that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Now, my immediate reaction when I heard that Bible verse is, that's just a little bit harsh. Come close to the presence of God and you're going to die. And it's not just like they were saying, like, stone them or shoot them. You don't want to become unholy by association. Don't touch them. And I thought, it's a little bit far removed from the God that I know. Because I've got an intimate connection with my father. I've got an intimate connection with Jesus. But it's a little bit far removed. So it, it struck me a bit. But the more I started reading into awe, the more I started actually trying to look into what it means to have awe of God, the more I became so much more deeply convicted. Because we are in such a... We're in a generation that just questions God's right to put boundaries on us. God's right to say, hey, this is as far as you come. And I know that God doesn't, there's no boundaries on our closeness to God anymore, thanks to the blood of Jesus. But, but we question God's right. And then I think at the same time, we, we make, we trivialize and make meeting with God an ordinary thing. Whereas the Israelites recognized, don't come too close to the presence of God. It is holy, holy, holy. You're not going to survive that. And I think it's something that we need to just, just be aware of. But I, I became so deeply convicted. And the, the text is conveying. It's not ordinary. It is so, so holy. And picture with me, if you will. Th these believers in this space, they were so awestruck. I can just imagine the awe on their face, the fear on their face, standing, looking up at Mount Sinai as a dense cloud, a pillar, a column of smoke and cloud just started to envelop the top as Moses walked up. And up until this moment, most of them would never have had a picture of the physical manifestation of God. But as they looked up at this physical manifestation of God, oh, they would have been on their knees, awestruck. How do we be in the presence right now? How do we even look at God himself as he comes and meets with Moses? Oh, it, just, it would have been such a beautiful moment. And Moses wasn't meeting to make the people jealous. He was meeting with God, and it says, so that they would believe him when he said he was speaking to God. And they believed him from this point onwards. But then we read, because the Israelites, they would, have, they, oh, they would have been in such awe and wonder. We read how they continue reacting, because it's not just here. They continue reacting to the presence of God. In Exodus 33, verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood, worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. And they would worship until Moses was done. If he was there for three hours, they worshipped for three hours. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, this is where I need you to, if, I'm hoping that you've been picturing already what we've been running through. But picture this with me. That there's a tent on stage that Brad would come to once, twice, three times a day. And Brad would come and sit in this tent and he would meet with God face to face and talk to him as an old friend. And then right at the entrance to this tent, there would be a column of smoke. There would be a cloud. There would be thunder, lightning. There'd be a trumpet and a ram's horn when we could approach. 
but there would be a pillar of smoke. In that moment, not a single one of us would be reacting with arms folded, thinking, well, the service isn't what I quite thought it would be today. We would be head bowed, our face touching the floor as low as we could get it, in awestruck wonder of our mighty God. Can you just picture that for a moment? Just the physical manifestation of the presence of God. And the Israelites saw this in that very moment. No wonder. No wonder. They were like, no, no, don't let us get close enough. Moses, you tell us. You speak to us. We're not coming close enough. We will die if we come too close to that presence. And yet, church, we trivialize the presence of God like there's no tomorrow. Like we trivialize that very presence that we have access to. I can just picture, I mean, how would you respond in that moment? We would just be in such awestruck wonder, glorifying our Father in heaven. We would join with the angels, like it says in Isaiah 6. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There would be two words that could come out of our mouth if it could come out, if anything could come out at all. Holy and hallelujah. Yeah, we trivialize the presence. I mean, we have full access to the presence of God, yet pastors, Brad, wherever we go to church, have to plead. They've got to beg us to spend five minutes or more a day in the word. Yet we have full access to the presence of God. And I'm sorry if it's getting a bit deep, people are getting convicted. If you're getting convicted, good. I'm hoping that that might just challenge you. We cannot treat the presence of God like it is ordinary. I mean, it's, it's become like it's a burden. It's an inconvenience. It's something that we have to fit in. How have we let our time of connection, conviction with God be defined to such small, narrow increments of prayer and worship in the morning where we'll sit with our word and then pray, and then we might pray with our spouse, and then we've, we've treated it like a text message. Oftentimes, you allocate your time, you say what we need to to God, you glorify, and then you say, God, we need this for the day. And then it's a text message. You put it on do not disturb, forget to reply till the end of the day when you go to bed and then pray just before you go to bed. How have we let our awe fall so far see brad doesn't go up the mountain anymore we don't have to wait with boundaries set on our closeness to the presence so my challenge today is would we start to rediscover our awe because the presence is is nothing that's ordinary and we need to stop treating it like it's ordinary church it's actually it's it's pretty sacrilegious if we're not treating the presence the way that it should be it is so holy so beautiful See, there's a program in America for pastors, church leaders. It'd be awesome if there's one in Australia, but even then, I'll, I'll tell you what it's about, and it'd be hard to be a part of. And it's, it's a program where for 21 days, there's a group that have created a space um, and a cabin, and there's, there's cabins out in the woods. And for 21 days, you are dropped in this cabin. There is no cell service. There is no electronics. There is no light, like lights, electricity. There's enough provisions for you to be alive for 21 days comfortably. You're not just having a ration packs and all that. And they leave you with a Bible. Now, if I bought you a one-way ticket to this program in America, how many of us would actually go? You don't have to put your hand up. I just want a little bit of conviction. How many of us would put aside 21 days straight to go and spend time with just the Word of God in His presence? 
Now, some of us are thinking, well, I've got a business to run. I can't really get away. Or got kids, can't really get away. And that, by all means, we have life. Life gets busy. But we make excuses and we then we'll say, oh, that's right. I have enough time in my day and my week. I spend enough time. I've put enough time aside to spend time with God. I'm good. Yet, now this is just a challenge. I'm not saying getaways and I'm definitely not saying family is not important. God, family, everything else, all the time. That's how it has to work. I had to learn that balance recently. I was not prioritizing my wife, be honest about that. I had way too many things going on in my life and I had to cut some things. God, family, the rest. But we'll go on a 21-day vacation with our family. Yet we'll forget that it's God that comes first. And we'd never consider taking 21 days to go spend time just with the Bible with God. Like, how have we got it so backwards? Now, it's not backwards to prioritize your family. Do not hear that. If anybody hears that, that's wrong. God made families and he especially made children so that parents could actually start to get, like, we, we, I think you get so high and then you have children's, children. You get so, so, so good in your faith, then you have children's like, wow. God, I finally understand a slight picture of what it means to be a father, a mother like you. Having children changes everything. And it gives us a new perspective, a new appreciation of God. I'm looking forward to the day that I get to be a dad and I get to have that revelation. In Peter 4 verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, oftentimes we think of prayer as a means to an end. And so it's a bit confusing that it's not saying pray for sober-mindedness and self-control. It says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. See, because prayer is the end goal. And it's saying the end of all things is at hand. So the most important thing we need in life is a great focused prayer life, an awe-filled prayer life. And here's my challenge to you. If you think that you've got enough prayer, if you walk for five minutes a day but sit on your bum for the rest, you can't call yourself healthy, can you? No? Oh, you got to respond. No? No, we can't. Okay. If you eat one healthy meal for a day but then eat three others that are just junk food, like three Big Macs and fries, you can't call yourself healthy, can you? But we've got 24 hours in a day, yet we'll only put the smallest time aside for our God. How on earth can we call ourselves spiritually healthy if he is not the priority? Like, I mean, it's, it's just, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayer. And self-control means putting enough time aside and removing the distractions so that when we're in prayer, we are in prayer. We need to learn to clear our minds, go up the mountain, detox of this world. Be, and it requires self-control, sober-mindedness, and recognizing whose presence we are in. Because it's, it's not just somebody's presence it's the universe breather's presence it didn't say that he needed to make the universe it said he breathed he said the words and the stars were formed yet this universe breather knows you so intimately that he weaved your dna together knows how many hairs are on your head that's whose presence we are in when we are praying that's whose presence we are in when we are in worship I want to challenge you each time we're praying and worshiping we need to treat him like there is a pillar of cloud in the room right now that the physical manifestation of the presence of God is there because if that's the way that we were worshiping if that was in the room it would look so very different to how we do it and not a single one of us myself included I'm preaching to myself I've been convicting myself on this for the last three weeks I wish I got to convict you guys three weeks ago we'd all be at the same point now but I am um, there's this 
it, it, everybody, I believe, would be convicted in this moment because we don't, we don't pray, we don't worship that way at all. And it's a sad reality. And see, I think some of us may have just gotten a little bit busy, a little bit lazy, but we know what it means to be in the presence of God and we know what it means to be all struck. And to that I'd say, just get back on the horse. Focus on what needs to be focused on. But some of us, I believe, would be suffering from awe deprivation, which means maybe you once knew what it felt like to be awful in the presence of God, not awful, awe-filled in the presence of God. Some of us have never understood or never actually experienced what it means to be awe-filled in the presence of God. And to that, I'd say you've, you may be experiencing some awe deprivation. And um, I believe there's, uh, yeah, well, when you go to the doctor, right, we, we all know that person in our life who's really tough. Like they, they will never go to anybody for help. If they have an arrow sticking out of their side, it'd be tis but a scratch. Like they, um, we all know that sort of person who just re- refuses to accept help. I, um, I heard a story from one of my teachers about her mother. And her mother was a really tough old lady. I believe at this stage she was in her 80s. And she was filling her wheelie bin, standing on a, because she was quite a short lady in stature. She was standing on a little stool, filling her wheelie bin. And the stool slipped out. She landed on the wheelie bin on her rib. And it cracked her rib. Now, is there anybody in the room that's cracked their ribs before? Yeah, extremely painful, right? One of the most, it apparently it's one of the most painful things that can happen in the human body. Like it, what's more is um, two days later, she called, now she hadn't told anybody, hadn't told her husband, hadn't told her daughter. She called her daughter, wheezing it. And Mrs. Scanlon, she had no clue what, she was like, what on earth is happening? So she drove over there and um, then took her straight to hospital because she couldn't breathe. Because it turns out for two days, she'd had a rib puncturing her lung. Now, I don't know how she wasn't dead because punctured lung air. I don't know how the body works. Um, I'm not a human bio teacher. I'm a physics teacher. Um, but the, the, the punctured lung, right? And we, we all know those people. But when you go to the doctor and you act like that, you're like, they say, oh, well, what's your pain threshold from one to 10? And you say two, but really it's a 13. The doctor, it takes forever. I mean, people have done that before, yeah? You want to, you want to appear tough? Stop it. The doctors actually want to know so that they can diagnose you. Otherwise, they beat around the bush. They're like, well, they're not really in pain, but these symptoms, they're just weird. It's not matching up. So it's going to take them longer to diagnose. And it, it, it frustrates doctors if people do that because what it's actually saying is you don't have enough faith in my ability to provide you the medical attention that you need. And if we're suffering all deprivation, then that is what we are saying to God. Oftentimes we'll be like, oh, well, I know that people come for prayer and I know that there's, there's miracles, but... I don't think that can be done in my life. Brad preached in his second sermon in the Devoted series about being devoted to the Word. And in the Word, it says to have faith, believe what the Word says, to speak it out, and so it will be done in your life. Right? And so when we're not speaking it out, we're not actually, it just means we're having awe deprivation. You're not actually having faith in God's wonder-working power. And there are some people in this room, I guarantee, sorry, I want to get my phrasing right because... Yeah, there we go. So I know that it's happened in the past, but I don't think it can happen again. See, I, I don't believe you can bring this miracle. And I've lost where I am. We start out. No. Can't find it. I don't, the, basically, the gist of it is I'm not going to believe for healing or provision or hope in it because if I don't hope for it, then I can't be let down when it doesn't happen. 
and we start to have this narrative that if I don't hope for it, if I don't pray for it or go for prayer, I can't be let down when it doesn't happen. But God's saying, would you just have faith in my ability to have my wonder-working power move in your life? So some of us, we just, we start to pull back and you notice it. Some of us have kids, I know in this room, that are not walking with the Lord, but we've gotten slack in praying for them. Some of us have family members. I stopped praying for my best mate a long while ago and recently started praying again when I had conviction of my life. It's like saying to God, I don't believe you can do it when we stop praying. Keep bringing it, be persistent. God has a plan. Tom, he's got a plan for your family. They are coming to know the Lord. We've seen pictures of all of his family wearing crosses in church. It's coming. I'm happy to pray for others, but I don't believe you can do it for me, God. And I believe the root cause, most people's drift from faith, drift from spiritual authority, drift from passion for Jesus, is they've simply lost their all. They forgot who their God is. They forgot whose presence they are in. And if we would just recognize the sheer magnitude, the fact that we are in the presence of the Almighty, the universe breather, the DNA knitter, everything about our prayer life would start to change. I mean, if you went for lunch with the King of England or the late Queen of England, you would probably act quite differently than to how you would if you were with your mates just going down for a beer at the pub or with your friend at a coffee shop. We would act differently. We'd treat them with respect, with admiration because of their station, because of who they are. How much more so does our God deserve our awe, our respect, our admiration, our devotion, that when we're spending time in his presence, we're not just going, well, God, we're saying, Lord, you are worthy. Everything else means nothing if I'm not doing it for your glory. You are worthy, holy, holy, holy. Church, we started to lose our awe. So how do we regain it? I've got three really simple things. I love simple takeaways. The problem with simple takeaways, simple takeaways take self-control. If you get an elaborate list of this is what you do, it's really easy to do it. You do it step by step and it's done. When it's one simple thing, it takes self-control to go back to it again and again and again and again. And again, so three simple things. I believe that there is a spiritual impact from your physical posture. And that means that when you pray, I would encourage you as you can. If you're not able to, then don't, meet, don't think by any means your prayer is, prayer is not spiritual, but as you can, kneel. When you pray, kneel. Because our God is worthy. If some of you are thinking, oh, it's weird to kneel in the presence of the God, my gosh, grow up. Our God died for you. He died for each of us. He loves you. He's the universe breather. How worthy is he that we would kneel in his presence? When it comes to worship, stop thinking that it's weird to kneel in worship. If you feel you need to in his presence, kneel. When it comes to your quiet time, your prayer time, kneel. Because that is the position of surrender saying, right, God, everything else is melting right now. It's just me and you. So kneel in his presence. And in that moment, plead for his presence again. Say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I can't believe that I've forgotten what it means to be in the presence of the Almighty. I need you again. I need more of your presence. Would you fill me? Have me encounter your glory again like I once did or like I've never known before. 
But then the most important thing about being in this posture, it says in Psalm 37, 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. We need to stay in that moment, practicing self-control and sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness is being focused on what you're praying on. Self-control is waiting in that moment. It's clear as day right here in the Word, and wait for him to act. If you're struggling with awe, ask for him to fill you in a posture of kneeling, and then wait, and wait. And if you need to wait, call your boss and say, might be late to work today, I need to wait on my God a little bit more, be late to work. Bosses, I'm sorry, but that's just, our God is more worthy of our time. And wait, and wait. The next thing that I believe we need to do, first thing is our posture in our prayer, in our worship, in our time with God. Never be ashamed to kneel wherever you are and just worship God. You want to experience a humbling experience? Kneel in the middle of the street while you're going for a walk, pray and worship your God and start to see how your life starts to actually start to shift and it starts to heat up and go a bit faster. When it doesn't matter where you are, you'll kneel in the presence of God. The second thing is, so that was posture, then there's positioning. We need to position ourselves to learn from those who understand what it means to be in the awe of God. Never be too big in yourself to think you don't need to learn more. You are never, it doesn't matter how old you are, you are always young enough to learn from somebody. And I'd encourage you, that means going and praying, dedicating time to go pray with somebody who you know is awe-filled, or I, am, I won't name call, I could very easily, there's people in, I wanted to name call, but I won't. That balcony every Sunday morning is filled with people from 7.30 a.m. who know what it means to be in the presence of God. And I know because I've prayed with each of them individually who are just so awestruck when they pray. And if you can't make it here every 7.30, make it here next week. Go up, tap them on the shoulder and say, can we catch up this week for coffee and pray together? I need to learn what it means to pray in an awe-filled way. And I'm about to blow some minds right now. I already blew the young adults away with this. Some people, you might be like, yeah, that made sense. That was easy. I already knew that. But some of us have read this Bible verse quite wrong a lot of the time. We all know that Jesus at the temple is a young man. Yeah, that Bible verse in Luke. Cool. How many of you thought that Jesus was teaching when he was at the temple as a young man? You're allowed to put your hand up. Beautiful. Cool. He was not. He was learning. And so some people might get their mind blown. A lot of young adults had a Mickey D mind blower. Um, sorry, that's just our word for a mind blower. Um, three days later, they finally discovered him at the temple. Oh, side note for parents. If you feel bad because your kid knocked their head or you lost them in the shops for half an hour, Mary and Joseph lost the Son of God for three days. You are off the hook. Like, you are off the hook. You, you're not a bad parent. Three days, Son of God. All right, they found him at the temple, sitting among the religious teachers. You ready for this? listening to them and asking questions. Jesus was not at the temple teaching. They, it does say they were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. He was not teaching. Even Jesus, the Son of God, positioned himself to learn. Positioned himself under people who had scriptural authority at the time to learn. Never think... It doesn't matter what your age is, you are always young enough to learn from somebody. And if, oh, if you want to be humbled, get alongside, especially as an older person, somebody who's younger than you, who knows how to pray in the awe-filled presence of God. Wow. When I pray with some of our young people, I'm like, wow, you put me to shame, young person. Wow. It's such a humbling experience. 
to recognize I need to, if I'm going to be leading this next generation, if I'm going to be leading my kids, if I'm going to be leading youth, if I'm going to be leading a children's church or anybody, I need to be so much more filled with the presence of God and in awe and wonder of his presence. But hey, the last thing. So first thing, our physical posture has spiritual implications. We need to position ourselves to learn. The last one is confess your lack of awe. There is power in confession. Confess it to your friend, your partner, your parents. And I do, this is my challenge for parents right now. This is one of the hardest challenges you're going to receive in a while. See, as parents, it's, it's just, it's a bit of a cultural thing. It's what, what we grew up with. You need to make sure that you're a role model for your kids so you make sure as best as you can, you deal with everything you need to deal with so that they can see you as an awesome parent. And that is who they want to be with. Now, we need to be obviously be honest and we all know that, open and honest about who we are. But you try and we all try. I don't, I'm not a parent yet. I can't, I can't wait for it. But we, we try to be the best we can. And our, parent, our kids often don't see those sides of us where we're struggling, but confess your lack of awe to your kids. You want to be humbled? Tell your kids, I'm struggling with my awe. Would you pray for me? I'm struggling. I've lost my passion for the gospel. It doesn't excite me the way that it used to. Time in the presence of the Lord has become a chore. Would you pray for me? You want to be humbled and prove to yourself that you're serious about regaining your awe for God's presence? Confess it to your kids. But regardless, if you don't have kids like I do, confess it to your friends, to your family, to your parents. Take that time. You don't have to confess it to everybody, but get people interceding on your behalf. If I could have the worship team back, that would be awesome. Get the worship team, get the people interceding on your behalf. Get the worship team interceding on your behalf. We love to pray. And see, that is why we have every single Sunday the opportunity for prayer up the front here. It's not prayer because that's the only way to get healed. It's intercession. And it's, I guarantee the people who are praying for you are going home and continuing to pray for you. There is power in intercession on your behalf. There is power in prayer on your behalf. Now, I know this has been a bit of a heavy sermon. It's not been a very light one. But I really hope that there's been conviction in each of your spirits, conviction in each of your hearts. When we worship, when we pray, would we worship and pray like there is a column of smoke? Would we be like the Israelites? I just, I can't even fathom coming any closer to your presence, Lord God, because you are holy, so worthy, so high and lifted up. Church, when did we lose our awe? We're not in the presence of our, just our friends. Yes, Jesus is our friend. We're not in the presence of just our Father. Yes, He's our Father. We're in the presence of the universe breather the DNA knitter. So I'd really encourage you in this space as we come back into worship. Can we bring the, bring the worship up just a little bit? I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment. You're not going to have to come up the front. Nobody's going to be looking. But that, just as I talked about your posture and there are spiritual implications to our physical posture, I'm, I'm going to, in a moment, ask every eye to just be closed across this place, mine included. And if you have been struggling, you feel a bit convicted in this moment that your, your relationship with God has been trivialized or you recognize I, I've not been in awe of my God or not enough. It's been, it's been something that's ordinary. Then I want, you, I want you to respond in this place. And that's, I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna be closing my hands, gonna be up as well, but I encourage you just to raise your hand. 
because then it's not going to be, it's not a matter of you're going to come up the front, people are going to be looking, you're going to come pray. It's, yep, I have responded, God. I recognize my faults and I am going to do something about it. And then from there comes the confession. I know that's the third point that we landed on. That's one of the first things, get people interceding. If you're next to your husband, your wife, tap them on the shoulder in this next worship song and say, I've lost my all. Tap your son on the shoulder. Just say, just be praying for me. I've lost my all. The gospel doesn't excite me the way it should. Try not to. If there's somebody you don't know next to them, don't. It can be a bit awkward and a bit heavy for somebody. But if you need to as well, there'll be prayer team up the front. Just come up, tap on the shoulder and say, hey, you just pray for me. I've lost my all. Brad's up the front, I'll be up the front. Anybody can come tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I've lost my all. And then I encourage you this next week, posture yourself well, kneel before the Lord and wait in His presence. Position yourself, spend time. If you've got somebody in mind right now, that you're like, yeah, they know how to pray. They're all filled. They know what it means to be in the presence of God. Take time, message them immediately after this service and say, hey, we're praying this week, please together. I need to, I need to get my all back. And so with every eye closed across this place, worship as well. Luckily, Luke can play with his eyes closed already. He's proven that to us. Just go eyes closed across this place and I'd encourage you right now, respond. If you have not been treating God and your time with Him like it is holy, 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 if your awe has not been there, that I encourage you right now just to lift your hand high in the air. It's just admitting, God, I, I, this is my physical posture. I know that I need to get better at this. And slip your hands down and eyes open again. I'd love for you guys to stand with us as we worship.